Hi, I'm Andalisi. Welcome to episode 25 of Essential Conversations. This is an interview that took place live on WDET with an in-studio audience in January of 2018 with the incredible husband-wife duo of the Warren Treaty. Musician, producer, and Blue Note Records president Don Was also joined us on the air that day. Incredible. You guys just sound better and better. So before we do anything, I'm going to do something that I failed to do the last time I talked to you, and that is to thank Michael Trotter for his service to our country. There's a lot of stories that go along with your service to our country, including how you got started playing music. But um, right now we're going to talk about a year ago. So a year ago, the Warren Treaty came to WDET. They live in Albion, Michigan, so they are all ours. <laughs> and um, Tanya had contacted me on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> and said, I hear you playing our music. And I wrote her back. And I said, I love you guys. Why don't you come in and play? <laughs> and so they came in, and at the time, mind you, this is a year ago, they had not one date on their schedule to not play, one. not one date. And so I said, what are you doing on January 20th, 2018? And they said, we don't have, any, we don't have anything booked. I said, ah, can you, you know, we do this, we do this uh, central music tour, you can just put this on, on your calendar? And they're like, absolutely. So off we go to an incredible year for you guys. And what happened, happened, what I thought would happen, happened, which was their manager now called me two months ago and said, uh, yeah, and what is this date on their calendar for January 20th as uh, a donation to the station? I said, yeah, we set that up a long time ago. Yeah. So we're good to go. And here you guys are. And I know they, drove, they jumped through literally incredible hoops to be here for us today. Uh, they're being pulled in a million different directions. So thank you. Thank you. For doing this. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the progression of the last year. So you played here, and then we were playing your music, and then all of a sudden, things started. But let's talk about a little bit of how the early part of 2017 looked for you guys. Well, um, the early part of 2017 really looked very promising, to be honest. Uh, we had moved uh, in 2016 to Albion, Michigan, and uh, we met some incredible people out there, and uh, one guy who's, who's with us right now, uh, Ronnie Parker over there playing the bass, uh, he was like, <laughs> he's uh, like our, for lack of a better term, our angel investor kind of deal, and he pretty much said, you know, Michael, this thing can take off if you take it serious, you know, and uh Kind of had that father-son kind of mentor talk, you know, when you take it serious, you know, and said some other, some other words that I can't repeat on air. But, but no, um, and Tanya, to be honest with you, Tanya was done. She didn't want any parts of the music um, because she had just lost her mom. Yeah. And that, that tragedy was just a lot for her. And, but from conversations that I've had with her mother, I knew that, uh, her mother would be completely disappointed yeah. if Tanya went went through with those plans, and so <laughs> the rest of us would have been. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, we got we got in the culture of Michigan, you know, with the blues and the the folk, and 
everything. And we just really found a voice. And we got down in his basement, Coach's basement, and uh, we created some songs and we ate his food, you know, yeah. all of it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just really cool. And then uh, we just rode on from there. Because I'm pretty convinced that anybody that hears you falls in love with you. Anybody that sees you wants to see you again. Anybody that listens to your music plays it all the time. So we're going to fast forward to July (laughs) of last year. Yeah, yeah. Because we have a special guest in our studio, a surprise special guest in our studio. Yeah. (laughs) And that is our good friend, uh, president of Blue Note Records, Don Was, is here. And this is a good time to bring Don into the conversation because we're going to talk about the Concert of Colors. And so, uh, Don, it was maybe April or March or something, and Don and Ishmael Ahmed, our good friend, who really is the champion of the Concert of Colors, uh, said to Don and I, we have to start talking about the Concert of Colors. You know, we have to get some of these songs and artists. And so Don said, we started a dialogue about who we might want. And I, I sent him a video of the war and treaty. And I said, I really love these guys. I think you will too. And, and I remember the first thing you said to me on the conference call was call the war and treaty and get them on this. <laughs> <laughs> on this <bill." laughs> um, tell me what you thought the first time you heard these guys. Well, I, I was blown away by the, the honesty in the music and the singing. Uh, and ju- just the, uh, it's authentic and it came from the heart. You know, I, I was touched by it, and that's just like looking at a video through someone's camera, you know, like phone, I think. Right, right yeah. Uh, and, uh, but it, it, was, it was really clear that, that there was something very, very deep and real going on. And at the, sh- first of all, at the, the, re- at the, the rehearsal, rehearsal, starting with the rehearsal, <laughs> where you have at least, you know, like, a, it's a pretty empty room except for a dozen jaded musicians <laughs> who've seen it all, and... <laughs> And you should have seen their jaws drop when when the two of you started singing, and uh, and this and the that same response occurred the next night at the at the show when uh, I mean what you you got like a five minute standing ovation. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I, we've never had that was the tenth year we've done it, and no one's ever like ripped it up like that. Uh, and uh, it's just clear, you know. I don't. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how you do this exactly, but I, I've seen it, you know, occur rarely and occasionally with people. But you just got some really deep gift, and and the thing the two of you do is is mind blowing, as, as we can see in here. Yeah, the day of the rehearsal, you know, the only people that knew who the Warren Treaty was was me, Don, and Ishmael. That was that was it, and I do remember their gaping holes of the <laughs> band were like, where did you find these folks? And the night of the um, the Concert of Colors, that felt like a moment of change for you guys, I thought, after that performance. What did you feel like when you went out there that night? Uh, well, honestly, we were petrified, and I was driving Michael crazy behind stage. <laughs> she was but, uh, drinking. <laughs> I was like, whoa, my wife drinks? And I never, I never drink, so I was like, somebody find me some wine. I don't know. But um, I, it was just so humbling. I mean, here we are in on the stage, and the great Don Waz is playing behind us. And I'm like, I'm going to forget every lyric, and Don Waz is going to never, ever want to hear us again. So I was super nervous, but it was such, it was so surreal. And the artists backstage, 
was uh kind of helped us ease our nerves. One artist in particular who's a legend in his own right, in my opinion, um, Sweet Pea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was drinking too. <laughs> I was like, I'm behind the curve here, man. Where's my bud? You know, but no, um, you know, just the honor and the respect of the song that was chosen for us to yes. cover. Um, the staple singers, Pop and, and Mavis and every, all of those, the staple singers. Uh, you, you, if you're going to cover a staple singer song, you definitely got to come correct. Right, yeah. <laughs> and no matter what the ovation was, we, we were just like, no, it's, it's, it's nowhere near close to the staple singer. I mean, we were just, yeah. we just felt such honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, everyone fell in love with you that night, and that was what people, I mean, there were weeks that would go by, and I'd be in the grocery store, and people would say, that concert of Colors of War Treaty. Um, all right, we've got a lot more to talk to you about, but how about another song? So please welcome once again to the WDET Studios, The War and Treaty. label interest in you guys there's no surprise that that would happen it's got to be exciting Mm -hmm. as you are on the precipice of another life-changing event yes yes (laughs) it's humbling I mean first off it's labels that you respect you know and then there's labels that you beyond respect it's like oh snap you know (laughs) (laughs) it's legendary stuff you know but when you don't set out for it and it comes your way anyway. It's just like, yeah. wow, what an honor. And um, to be able to, to, to do what you love to do with the person you love is amazing. And um, one label in particular sees that. And That's just, pretty great. We're just counting yeah. down the days. <laughs> All right. We'll, ever, we'll let everybody know when the time comes. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So, Michael, there is a great story about the kind of music that your mother let you listen to when you were... <laughs> When you were, (laughs) yeah, can't drink to that. Yes. So, this is a really good story, though. So, I I was hoping you could tell this little story today. Oh, the watered down version. Oh well, (laughs) I grew up in a a strict Christian home, and uh, my mother, you know, on one side, my mother was like the the model Christian, and my my pa was like the model heathen. <laughs> and it was like the best of both worlds, you know. So I, I quickly identified with those cartoons with the two constants on your show. But you know, my mom, um, she recognized my musical talent uh, early, and so she kind of decided she would steer that. And she rigged our old school radio. I mean, it was like AM and FM, and she rigged it to where it would not move from the AM station. A particular station was the classic and oldies, you know, and. Um, so I didn't know she rigged it. I just was like, oh, there's only one. It's only going but so far. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I would, would go to sleep each night listening to uh, Johnny Cash. And then the next song would be Ray Charles or Patsy Cline, Nat King Cole, Hank Williams. You know, and I, I just would let them serenade me to sleep. So when I go to school, you know, can you imagine this? I mean, I'm growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, and, what, and you know, and, and they're talking about the new music. And they're like, man, did you hear that new Tupac? Or did you hear that Biggie, man? And how about some of that R. Kelly? And I'm like, I'm about to get in this conversation. Did you guys hear the new Johnny Cash? (laughs) Walk the line. (laughs) Best song ever. You don't know him? How about Ray? Ray Ray Charles, is it? 
They're new artists, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys will hear about them soon. My teacher let the cat out of the bag after, you know, weeks of hearing these conversations go on. I'm just naming all these artists that most of them, some of them were even passed away, you know. And she was like, you know, I need to tell you, um, those aren't new artists. In fact, there are legends. And some of them that you mentioned are are dead. <laughs> and I went home and I was like, you lied to me! You're not supposed to lie, you're a Christian! So that's... <laughs> that is a great story. Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. Tanya, what were you listening to when you were growing up? Everything. My mom was from Panama, so it was Calypso music and... <laughs> you know, Spanish music and then gospel music, classical. She was also a classical singer, so um, we would listen to classical music. And you sang music. classical. Yeah, I sang classical music. Just everything, you know, every kind of music that was out there, I pretty much listened to growing up. And oh, I think you can pretty much sing it, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then my dad was from North Carolina, so it's like, you know, you go down the country and you're listening to country music. You know, so it was country and classical and calypso all at the same time. So I was all confused. <laughs> I was like, oh. So when you met Michael, like your style of singing now is very different yes. than when you met Michael. So he had a huge influence on the way we hear you sing today. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. Uh, when I um, met Michael, I was kind of done with music really I had this classical clean sound voice and Michael was like you know what I'm gonna do something different with your voice you're gonna start growling I'm like oh my god my teacher my vocal teacher is gonna die I can't do that you know and he started just training me on how to sing different styles of music and how to do it without losing your voice or damaging your vocal cords and when when I started doing it, I was like, this is so cool. My teacher's going to kill me. <laughs> and he just started, you know, showing me different ways to get around it and to preserve the vocal cord and, and to learn about the vocal cord in a different way, you know. And it's just been really mind-blowing. Well, you guys sing like this every time you sing. So you'll have four shows in a week or yes. five shows in a week. How do you protect your voice when you're singing like that every night? It's It's kind of amazing because I think, any singer would tell you, you know, you can give all these technical answers. Mm -hmm. It's 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 you. It's the audience. It's the adrenaline. It's the energy. But I think the thing that Ty and I have connected to that surpasses the voice is the mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah. You know, uh, we recognize the, the responsibility that comes with even a performance like this to mm -hmm. give it your all and to let you know what we're talking about, you know, and, and it's coming from our heart. And we love you. We love mm -hmm. the people. Um we love our country, our world, mm -hmm. and we feel that our songs can help heal and bridge the gaps. And you don't have time to lose your voice. So you yeah. just look up to the Father and the Creator, and you're like, I need you. all right, I, I'm with you. You with me. Let's, let's party here. And, you know, and it's, it's, we went through 17 shows, and I, I hadn't lost my voice. I sing a little bit harder than Tanya. And um, Tanya kind of, like, had lost it a little bit. And I, and I recognized that it wasn't her losing her voice, it was pretty much, she was just so afraid to damage the moment. Mm -hmm. And I had to explain to her, hey, this ain't about that. This is literally about you just going out there and bearing your soul and letting folk, you know, if you feel like you need to growl, growl. If you want to yeah. stomp, stomp. You want to scream, scream. Because the people in that audience, they can't. Yeah. And they're going to want you to speak for them. So mm -hmm. that's just our heart, and that's where we are. And mm -hmm. I think that has sustained our voice because we're not singing with just the vocal cord, but we're singing with literally the Everything. stories of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. 
That's a pretty amazing answer, Michael, from both of you. Can you do another song for us? Yes. We're in our studios here at WDET for the Essential Music Tour with our special guest, Don Was, and our good friends, uh, the Warren Treaty, who we are all going to be able to watch how their career together unfolds, which is going to be exciting. And you guys, I, seriously, you guys are going to be able to say, I was there when. No. Please welcome once again to the WDET studios, the War and Treaty. Coming up in part two of my conversation with the Warren Treaty, Michael talks about serving in Iraq and learning to play on Saddam Hussein's piano. I'm Andalisi, and here's the conclusion of my conversation with the Warren Treaty. For people that don't know your story, um, when you were in Iraq, it is a fascinating um, story of how you started and how you got to the place that you are today, and that was a changing, a big pivotal moment in your life is when you served in Iraq. Yeah, and um, it, it was, and I, I'm thankful to, to you and, and to uh, Rob Reinhardt for giving me a chance to, to tell that story to the world. Um, <clears throat> I, I didn't really have any interest in the piano. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a rapper after I, after I finally got that, that radio unrigged. I, I just thought I was going to be the next big, sexy, big rapper, you know, yeah. But um, you know, <laughs> but um, you know, our military and our, our government, you know, you can say many things, but one of the things that you you can't deny is the fact that uh, the military will give you a chance to rectify your mistakes. And uh, I made some mistakes in my life, and I had um, a baby girl on the way, and I remember saying these words, and um, just got to give it to you guys the real way. I said, I'm not going to raise a bastard child. I want to do whatever I can to, to make sure that I provide. And uh, realizing my options were very slim, I decided to join the Army. And uh, I joined during wartime, and I did not really, didn't know we were at war. You know, I had no interest. You know, it's like, I'm going to join the Army and get paid. And, you didn't uh, think you would get deployed? No. But I did. Uh, my first duty station, I went there, and I stayed three days. And... Before I knew it, I was on an airplane, uh, going to Kuwait City, and then going to Iraq. Out of everyone who entered into Iraq in 2004, uh, with me on that day, I was probably most terrified, and it was visible. You know, and you got this big, big dude, and all the other little soldiers are like, yeah, we're going to kill the enemy. It's time to go to war, war, war. G.I. Joe and Saving Private Ryan, and they're all just quoting all these movies. And if you take that camera and it was a, if it was a movie and you panned to me, I probably was chewing on my nails and crying. And <laughs> I was doing all kinds of stuff that was not soldier-like. Let's put it that way. I, was, I didn't want to be there, and I wasn't going to shy away from that. But uh, one of my, my, my leaders saw that I, I had some, some trouble. And he asked me, he said, you know, um, you like music. I said, I love music. And he took me into um, where we were staying. And took me in the basement of a palace that we had bombed. It was just like a, a scene out of a movie. We were crawling over bricks and mortar and rut and soot, trying to get to what he wanted to show me. And finally, when we got there, it was an upright black piano. And it belonged to Saddam. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that America doesn't know um, 
some of the parts about some of the tyrannical people we've had to face. You know, like Saddam was probably one of the most prolific pianists you ever hear and see. And, um, you know, he just said, you know, why don't you just sit here and see what comes to your head? And, you know, I would sit there for days and I would think, you know, if Saddam Hussein, with his tyrannical mind and his troubled mindset, could find some sort of solace and peace with these ivory keys, surely I can too. And I would one finger it, you know, Mary had a little, <laughs> do all the things that known people do when they try to pick up the piano. But it wasn't until that, that leader who led me down there uh, was killed on a mission. And I, I, I rarely talk about this piece of it. Uh, he was killed on a mission that was intended for me. And um, that's what makes it so hard to talk about because he saw something in me musically. And I remember him saying, hey, uh, Trotter, you're going to sit down and sit this mission now. I'm going to take your place. And he, he outranked me completely. I mean, in fact, the relationship was so unique because he was an officer and I was a, you know, a lowly private. But had he not taken my place on that route, it would have been me. And Rob took my place. And so he, uh, he perished. And I remember everybody in the, in the command was kind of afraid to let me know this, you know. And finally, my, um, my first sergeant told me, hey, he didn't make it. And he said, I don't want you to come out this room. I want you to stay in here and take as long as you need. Some, something unlocked, you know. And, and tragedy, you know, I tell people all the time, tragedy can do one of two things. It can completely tear you up and break you down, or it can build you all the way up and unlock some things in you that you never thought you had. For me, it just did just that. It unlocked something in me I didn't know I had, and I learned to play the piano that day. I also learned not to take any person or anything for granted. So that's part of my story, and I was able to uh, sing the song at his memorial in Iraq. Things just changed. That day, the general told me that that would be my job from this point forward, I would go around and sit with the command of the fallen, find out what their stories were, and I would write the songs and perform those same songs. You know, we didn't care about copyrights. We didn't care about if the songs were hits, nothing. He changed my job because he saw that the troops were literally moved when they heard my songs about their battle buddy, and they were touched. And it gave, I remember one soldier said, you know what it did for me, Trot? I said, what's that, bro? He said, it helped me drive on. And so that was my job from 2004 through my exit, 2007. Every time I go to war, I would literally go in my little tent and the general picked me up and we'd go from place to place hearing about how the soldier died and how he lived and writing songs, I'd write songs and perform them. And that's when I realized the power of songwriting. I don't want to leave Tanya out of this. <laughs> oh, no. Because Tanya has an amazing story as well. And Tanya, you, there is something so brave that you did that a lot of artists wouldn't do. And that was that you had a deal, a dream deal for some artists, and you literally walked away from it. So talk about that a little bit. Well, for me, it, it goes back to uh, what Michael said before, is really understanding your responsibility and your purpose. And I knew that after we had recorded 30 to 40 songs, I just said to myself, you know, with the great artists that I grew up listening to 
what would they what would they think you know about this music that I'm I'm going to put out and I knew that I couldn't um I would the responsibility was there for me to do it and I wanted to do something different and I was able to um do something different and I'm here now with Michael so when I met him I was like he writes and he can do this and we can do this together uh with these this kind of music that I want to do so you know, it's just a responsibility that I had as a young person. I knew um, what it was, and I wasn't afraid to stand up for that. And I think a lot of artists, um, you know, could be afraid to do that because the the deal was there. It was great. The lights, everything was there. And I was like, no, that's not who I am, you know. You should talk about the day that you met Tanya. um was undaunted in her heels. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was running across a, a field. I, I would do um, back-to-school programs for kids and give out backpacks, and Michael was performing with the guitarist, and I saw him performing, and when he came off the stage, I was like, oh, my God, I have to meet him. My heel was stuck. I'm, like, trying to, <laughs> trying to get to him, and he was just amazing. He blew me away, and um, we exchanged phone numbers. He lost my number. <laughs> but um, eventually, I, I tracked him down, and uh, <laughs> we ended up working together. And uh, we didn't start recording and singing together as a duo until we were three years into our marriage. So we were—he would sing around the house, and I would listen to him sing, and he would write, and he tried to pull me in. I'm like, no, 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 you go ahead. But then one day, a friend of ours heard us singing together, mm-hmm. and they were like, "You guys should do that." And we we agreed. So that's do you guys sing it. around the house like when you're just together? And no, <laughs> she won't sing with me. No, he'll get me early in the morning. He'll like I have a song, and he'll whisper and he's like, "Listen, hum this." I'm like, "It's morning breath time. I'm not gonna sing <laughs> to you." <laughs> you know, <laughs> he leans over and we're singing. So we do things like that, random rehearsals. You know. <laughs> Can you guys do one more song for us? Yes, yes. Please welcome once again, live here at WDET, The War and Treaty. And we dedicate this song to all you all. Um, Song is entitled, Have You a Heart? Heartbreaks and heartaches Left me in shame But the heart wants what it wants And it's crying out your name 